Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have been singing this morning, we thank you as we are beginning to celebrate the Christmas season. Lord, we're reminded of your name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Lord, even from the beginning of your holy word, you promised your people that you would be a God who dwelled, dwelt among them. That you would be a God amongst his people. And in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you brought that to fruition. And Jesus, you Lord God, came to be with us. And not only did you come to be with us, but Lord, you came and you died on the cross for us. Having lived that perfect life. A life of perfect obedience. Yet you took upon yourself the death of a cursed man. Taking our curse. Bearing our sin and our shame. And being raised again. So that we might have life in you. So that you might dwell not only among us but in us. Through your Holy Spirit. And Lord we look forward to that day that you will return. And we will see you as you are. We will see you face to face. God with us. And all in all of eternity you will be with us. We are so thankful Lord for that hope. Oh Lord today as we come. To open your word and study about. Your authority kingdom authority. Lord may our hearts be turned to obedience. And may we live according to your will. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. We'll be looking, working through 23 through 32 this morning. Matthew chapter 21, working through 23 through 32. We've been looking at kingdom parables kingdom parables we started this a while back looking at those kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to continue now and work through the rest of of Matthew's gospel if you remember a parable is a simple story a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson a parable is a simple story to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And Jesus used these often through his ministry. He, he used parables throughout. And you remember at the very beginning we talked about, and Jesus told us the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables, they have a twofold purpose. One is that it is a judgment. It is a judgment. 
So hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see, he said. And that's for those who refuse to hear the plain teaching of the gospel, the plain teaching of the kingdom message, the message that Jesus was teaching. Up until that point in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus had been pl speaking plainly to them. But when people continue to refuse the plain teaching of his message, he turned to them in parables so that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. It was a judgment on their continued unbelief. But it's also a blessing for those who do receive the plain teaching of the gospel as it brings greater light to the kingdom message and greater light to the kingdom. Now, we have to understand that throughout the Gospels, there are different kinds of parables. And in this study, we haven't looked at every parable. We're not going to look at every parable, but we're looking at kingdom parables. That is, those parables that exclusively teach us something about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're looking at. And today we come to this parable, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the two sons. And this is the first parable in a series of three parables on kingdom authority, kingdom authority. So the next three Sundays we'll see kingdom authority. And so these parables are directed, these parables, that these next three parables are directed at the chief priests and the elders of Jerusalem who had come to Jesus to challenge his authority. And so we'll see that today as we begin to work through this first parable. You know, we tend to have a problem with authority. In general, we do. We, each and every one of us have a, a problem with authority. We start this from a very young age. Your children have a problem with your authority and they try to defy your parental authority every chance they get, and they have to learn obedience to your authority. Well, it doesn't end with childhood. We continue to have a problem with authority throughout adulthood. It is indeed a part of our very nature. We, by very nature, by our very nature, are defiant. and We don't like people to hold authority over us. That is the sinner the rebel within us. And so Jesus comes to these people who have a problem with his authority. Max Lucado tells a story in his book, The Eye of the Storm. In U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, the magazine of the U.S. Naval Institute, Frank Koch illustrates the importance of obeying the laws of the lighthouse. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy, water, in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The, visi the visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant 
we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship! We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, I am a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. I am a seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He sped out. Send, I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I am a lighthouse. We change course. That illustrates to us the importance of heeding and obeying the word of proper authority. Now, the lighthouse had the authority over the battleship despite the rank of the seamen who might be sending the message. The lighthouse, by its very nature, held authority over that battleship because that lighthouse could not be moved. Authority is an important topic when it comes to the kingdom of God. In fact, who has the final authority over your life will determine your eternal destination. Today, as we look at this parable, we see this lesson. Endless challenge to Jesus' kingdom authority leads to exclusion from God's kingdom, while repentance and submission leads to eternal Inclusion. Let me say that again. Endless challenge to Jesus' authority, kingdom authority, leads to exclusion from God's kingdom, while repentance and submission leads to eternal inclusion. So now let me show you this from our text this morning. And as we begin to look at this text, the first principle that we see here, the first truth that we see is that pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' kingdom authority. Pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' kingdom authority. Look at verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the temple came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now let's stop there for a moment. What are they talking about? What are these chief priests and the elders talking about? Well, we are at this point in, Luke, in Matthew's gospel in Passion Week, in the Passion Week, the beginning, very beginning of Passion Week, in fact. If you turn back, to the beginning of chapter 21, you'll see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That's where he came in riding on the donkey, and the people were out there singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they welcomed Jesus with open arms into Jerusalem. But then Jesus goes in. As soon as he gets there, he goes straight to the temple, and he cleanses the temple. 
There are people there who are changing money. They are there selling money. They are, are they're changing money. People are coming in for the Passover. A lot of them are coming from different provinces throughout the Roman Empire. And they're exchanging that money because only the money there that was uh, issued for Jerusalem and uh, Judea there, only that money was uh, able to be received by the priest in the temple. And so there were money changers there. And the money changers were changing currency, well, at a profit, right? So you come in with uh, $100, uh, they're going to charge you 10% to change that $100 over into that currency of, of Jerusalem, something like that. I don't know what the exchange rate was, but it was something like that. And so they were, they were actually in the temple making a profit. On top of that, the priest had a little gig going. As people would bring in their lamb for the atonement sacrifice, the priest would look at the lamb and, and they would examine it and, and see if it was worthy of, of sacrifice. And the priest oftentimes, especially for those who had traveled so far, they would inspect the lamb and look at the lamb and say, oh, nope, there is a blemish. They would find a blemish, and so that lamb is no good. You need to go see these people over here in this corner of the temple complex and buy another lamb. And you see, they had quite the gig going there. And Jesus comes in to the temple complex. He sees all of this taking place, and he drives the money changers. He drives these sellers for profit out of the temple, out of the temple property. Uh, off of the temple property saying for my father's house shall be a house of prayer it's a house of prayer not a house of profit and he runs them out with great authority and then he begins to to set up camp there in the temple complex and he begins to teach with great authority and they're bringing the sick to him and he's healing them there with kingdom authority and all of that is, has brought these chief priests and the elders to him. Who gives you this authority? Who gives you this authority? Let's continue reading there. <clears throat> Jesus answered them in verse 24. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. So he answers their question with a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, that is John the Baptist, the baptist of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, these chief priests and these authorities, they come to Jesus to question his authority. They begin to question his authority. And Jesus brings this question to them because he knows their heart. This baptism of John, who was it from? Was it from God or was it from man? And they are afraid to answer him because if they say it's from God, 
well then they've been caught by Jesus' trap then why didn't you believe him why didn't you repent but then if they say if he's from man then they're afraid of what the crowd is going to do you see their pride their pride is inhibiting them from seeing the truth of Jesus' authority the, uh, Jesus' authority is evident it is absolutely evident in the works of Jesus in fact in John chapter 3 verse 2 we see the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus and Nicodemus he came to Jesus by night and he said to Jesus rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God now Nicodemus you remember he was one of the elders of Jerusalem he was one of the teachers. He is in the class of these chief priests and the elders who are coming to Jesus, asking him about his authority. And he comes to Jesus in John 3, 2. This was earlier on in Jesus' ministry. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these, these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. You look at Jesus and you look at his ministry, and you think about it, he was there in the temple complex itself, healing the sick. The lame, the blind, the deaf, they were coming to him, and Jesus was healing him. Who has authority to heal disease? God does. And God alone. So the evidence that Jesus has kingdom authority is there. Yet, the pride inhibits these men from seeing it and from submitting to his authority. Dear friend, perhaps you're here today and you, because of your pride, are refusing to submit to the authority of Jesus. You refuse to see it, not because the evidence isn't there. Look at Jesus' life. Look at all that he did. Look at all the, the people, all the witnesses that declared Jesus did all that he did. You have over 500 people who saw Jesus crucified, buried, and dead. Buried into the ground. Over 500 people who came back and said they saw him three days later raised alive and well and many of those 500 went to their death proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified buried and raised again what's the explanation Jesus must have been crucified buried and raised again you see the evidence of Jesus kingdom authority all around but yet, perhaps you are here and you refuse to submit. You refuse to give in because that means you would have to live according to his will. Dear friend, it, it is your pride that is inhibiting you from surrendering to Jesus' kingdom authority and gaining the life that he has to promise you. Pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' kingdom authority. But as we get into the parable, then we see this second truth. Rejection of Jesus 
Jesus' kingdom authority, leads to exclusion from God's kingdom. Rejection of Jesus' kingdom authority leads to exclusion from God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom. As the chief priests come to Jesus and they refuse to answer this, this question that Jesus has put before them, he then lays this parable out to them. His aim here is to open their eyes that they may see. Right? He is having grace upon them. Oh, he kind of hits them in the gut a little bit. It is a little bit of a gut punch when they hear it. Be assured. But the hope is that they would see. What do you think, Jesus says to them? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not do it. I will not. But after, after his father went away, he changed his mind. Now, if you underline in your Bible or write in your Bible, underline or circle that phrase there. He changed his mind. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. He changed his mind. It's important in this, this passage, in this parable. Afterward, he changed his mind and he went. He went and worked as his father had told him. And he went to a, the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the, which of the, two did the will of his father? Well, they, the chief priests and the, the uh, elders there, they said, well, the first. It's obvious, right? It was the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not after change your mind. Again, circle or underline. And believe him when you look at this parable and these chief priests and and the elders there they understood this which of course Jesus explained it to them but I can imagine even as Jesus was telling this parable maybe their minds were on track and thinking but Jesus, he, he points out here that the, the second son, the second son in the parable, the son that said, yes, sir, I will go and work in the field as you have commanded me to. And, and, and yet he didn't, excuse me, and yet he did not go. That son represents these, <clears throat> these chief priests and elders. The chief priests and the elders are the second son in this parable. And Jesus says to them, John, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness. He came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. You see, John came in the wilderness of Jerusalem there, out around the Jordan River, and he began to preach the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, you need to understand something here. What oftentimes when you see the kingdom of God is at hand, that is pointing to the Messiah is at hand. 
Because when the king is present, his kingdom is present. And so what John was saying when he was preaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying the Messiah is here. God's promised king is here. He is on his way. Repent. Turn away from your rebellion. And turn to God for his kingdom is here. And you see, there were many people who went out to John the Baptist out in the wilderness and they heeded his word. They heeded the message of the kingdom. But who didn't heed the word? These chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders of, of the people, they refused to hear it. Their pride would not allow them to hear it. Therefore, they rejected John's message. They rejected, first of all, John's life. They rejected John's life. He came in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe. When you think about the way of righteousness, that means to, to live a morally upright life. In other words, the image that Jesus is painting here is that John lived his message. He practiced what he preached. Here's a man who practiced what he's preaching. He wasn't just going out and preaching the gospel and living another life. Oh, we see that plenty today, don't we? It was the same back then. There was plenty of, of charlatans out there who were preaching one thing and living another. Many of these chief priests and these elders were doing such by allowing people to, to rob the people blind and, and even the temple complex. Allowing those money changers to, to take a profit from changing money within the profit, or within the, the temple complex, even taking some of the profit, getting a little pay under the table from the money changers. You know, see, they were preaching a, a gospel, but not living a gospel. Not living the gospel they were preaching. But John, he came living it. He came in the way of righteousness. He practiced what he preached, and they rejected John. Not only did they reject John's life, but they rejected John's message. They rejected his message, repent for the kingdom is at hand. They didn't listen to that. They didn't heed that message. They didn't look for the king. And they didn't try to get their life ready for the king's entry into his kingdom. They rejected John's life. They rejected his message. And, <clears throat> and they even rejected the results of John's ministry. They rejected the results of, God's, of John's ministry. There at the very end, he says, and even when you saw it, when you saw, when you saw the results of his preaching, when you saw these, these prostitutes and tax collectors repenting and turning away from their sin and living for God, you rejected the results of John's ministry. He lived it. He preached it. His ministry sold results of it. And yet, you rejected every aspect of John's ministry. You rejected his life. You rejected his message. You rejected the results of that message. Continuing to live in sin and rebellion. And furthermore, they rejected John's king. They rejected John's king as they are sitting there looking at the Messiah face to face. When they're watching him heal people before their very eyes. 
when they're hearing him preach the word of God with such authority like no other man preached it. They rejected John's king. They rejected God's king. They rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These chief priests were like the second son. Oh, they heard the word of God preached. In fact, they were very well educated in the word of God, and they were very quick to tell other people how to live by the will of God, but they themselves would not bear the burden. They rejected the gospel. They rejected King Jesus. But I want you to see this, dear friend. Rejection of King Jesus leads to exclusion from God's eternal kingdom. Rejection of King Jesus leads to exclusion. That means getting left out of God's eternal kingdom. He says there in verse 31, the second part of verse 31, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Here you are, so religious, so educated in the Word of God, yet these tax collectors and these prostitutes, they go in before you. And that doesn't mean that eventually they will get there. But what that means, what Jesus is saying, is they get there and you don't. You continue to reject kingdom authority and you're not going to get there. They heard the word and they repented, but you heard the word and you refused to repent. You refused to submit to kingdom authority. Therefore, these tax collectors, these prostitutes, these sinners among sinners, they go into the kingdom, but you, dear friend, because your failure to see the kingdom, you're not going to make it. You're excluded. You're left out. Let me tell you, dear friend, your religion, your religion, I don't care how religious you are, your religion makes no difference in eternity. The most religious people in the world are going to die and go to hell because they refuse to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. There are some great preachers and some great pulpits who are most likely going to die and go to hell because they are trapped in their own selfish pride and they continue to refuse to heed the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how many church roles you are on. If you continue in your pride to reject the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. It's not about taking Jesus, receiving Jesus as Savior, period. That's it. Scripture tells us receive Him as Savior and Lord, Master, King. You see, dear friends, there must be repentance and there must be obedience to Christ. You must submit to the authority of Jesus in your life or you will 
utterly be damned. R.A. Torrey says this, any man who hears the gospel and persistently refuses to believe and receive it shall be damned. All anyone needs to do to be saved, saved to the uttermost, is to believe on the Lord Jesus. It is not necessary in order to be damned that one be what the world calls a wicked person. Refusing to believe on Jesus Christ is in itself a damnable sin and reveals a damnable state of heart. Oh, dear friend, if you continue in your pride, rejecting Jesus, rejecting his authority, you will forever be damned. Damned to an eternity in the devil's hell. Prepared for the devil and all of his followers. While pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' kingdom authority, while pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' kingdom authority, and rejection of Jesus' kingdom authority leads to exclusion from God's kingdom. I want you to hear this. Repentance and belief. Repentance and faith in Jesus' kingdom authority leads to eternal inclusion in God's kingdom. Repentance and belief in Jesus' kingdom authority leads to eternal inclusion in God's kingdom. Those prostitutes and tax collectors in this parable are those in comparison to the first son. The first son, notice what the first son did. At first he said, no, no father, I'm not going to do it. He rebelled against the father's authority over him. But then afterward, he changed his mind. Now that term there, that term is a term that's sometimes used for the word repentance. For repentance. In fact, there's, there's two different terms that are, are used for repentance. One, one that's most often used is the term that means to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought or attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So this is that term that uh, is kind of like a military term. It means to do an about face. So you're walking away from God, you're rebelling against God, and you repent, you turn around, you change direction, you change your attitude towards God. You were and an attitude of disobedience, but now you've changed direction and now you have an attitude of obedience toward God. That's what the first term meant, means, and that's the one that's often used. But here Jesus uses another term that, to bring in another aspect of repentance. The term that is used here for he changed his mind, uh, it communicates another type of repentance or another aspect of repentance. And it means to change one's mind about something with the probable implication of regret. With the implication of regret. So it's not just about changing direction, but it's about a change in the heart. You know, when we were living in sin, living, running away from God, we have no problem with sin. 
Sin is good. Sin is fun. Let's keep on doing it. But when Christ transforms our lives, He changes us. He changes our heart. He changes our desire. And so that that we thought was so fun, when we see Christ for who He is, it becomes ugly to us. And we regret ever living in that life. And it causes a change in our direction and attitude. Now we desire to live for God. We long to live for God. And we hate, we regret our sin. Oh, we still have those moments where the flesh kind of pulls us back in this direction. But there's that, I hate what I'm doing. I hate what I'm doing. I want to live for God. I want to live for God. There's that yearning in us to live for God. And there's that regret, that despise of sin that is now evident in our lives when we believe in Jesus and trust in him. When he changes our hearts, we repent, not just changing direction, but changing our attitude towards sin. We no longer love sin, but we hate it. And we despise ourselves when we fall back into it. And that's what he uses here. These prostitutes and these tax collectors, they see their sin. They, hear, they heard the message of John. They believed it. And they changed their mind. They changed direction. They used to love their prostitution. They used to love their embezzlement. They used to love all of that. But God changed them. And now they love God. They want to live for God. And they regret what was behind them. And they believed in Him. They believe the message. And belief here is not just a, a superficial belief, not a mere mental assent into some facts, but this is belief that leads to obedience. We see Jesus for who he is. He is the king. He's not just some other person. He is the king of God's kingdom. He is a loving, gracious king who died for us. We want to surrender. We want to come under his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Those who see Jesus and repent and believe in Jesus are included into his kingdom. We see this illustrated in, in the uh, Bible story, Zacchaeus. Y'all know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. And what did he say? For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus, he saw Jesus. He took Jesus to his house and he saw Jesus and he responded with repentance and belief. And the message that Jesus was preaching. And we see this in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. And when they, the religious elite, saw it, when they saw Jesus coming into Zacchaeus' house, because Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector, he was a sinner among sinners, and they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he sold his goods and gave back to the poor and, and, and gave back to uh, the people that he had defrauded. He was saved because he believed the gospel. He saw Jesus for who he was. He is the Messiah, God's King. And he responded in obedience because he responded to the message. He believed. He had faith in Jesus. And because of his faith, he did those things. Because he believed, he acted in repentance. He acted in obedience. Saving faith is obedient faith. It is a faith that submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, what is it what good is it if you in your life, you say Jesus is Lord, but you continue to live in rebellion? What good is it? In James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19, James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, to, says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to, to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without having given them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, faith, true faith, believing faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is faith that obeys. It's a faith that, that doesn't see obedience as a, a, a duty, but a, a, as a pleasure to come under his lordship, to yield to his leadership. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. Dear friend, pride inhibits faith and obedience to Jesus' authority. Rejection of Jesus' kingdom authority leads to exclusion from God's kingdom, but repentance and belief in Jesus' authority leads to inclusion into God's kingdom Therefore, dear friend, today, repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you, are, you have been struggling against the authority of Jesus, your pride has poked your chest out and said, I will not submit. I will not submit. I will not submit. Your pride will condemn you to an eternity in hell. But if you surrender to Jesus, he promises my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
He is a loving Savior who died on the cross for you. He's not a harsh taskmaster. A harsh taskmaster would not die for you. Jesus died for you to give you life. Won't you surrender to him today? One final parable that Jesus gives in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe to all that I give. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Is pride keeping you from submitting to Jesus for trusting in him and giving your life over to him. Let today be the day that you let pride go. And like that tax collector, you humble yourself before the throne of God, beating your chest. Oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus will be faithful to save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that the, one of the hardest sins to overcome in life is the sin of pride. Pride caused Adam and Eve to take that first bite of sin to take those first steps of rebellion against you. And pride keeps us from seeing Jesus and trusting in him. Oh Lord, there are some today who, who came here blinded by pride. But Lord God, I pray today you would open the veil let them see their sin and let them see the loving Savior who's calling them. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest from your pride. I will give you rest from your rebellion. I will give you rest from your sin. I will bring you into my kingdom. Oh Lord, let them see and respond with repentance and faith today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.